I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Um, I hope you're all doing well today. Today's episode, well, it's uh, it's a cracker. It's, uh, it's with somebody that... Um, I grew up watching uh, their band, and their their band was was something that I'd never experienced at a, a live event like it. It was sinister. It was intense. It was unnerving. Uh, it involved the the front man firing blank blanks at the audience, um, and it, just the the whole package that 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 come with being a fan of this band was was something exciting and, uh, and, and, and as mentioned, unnerving. And that band was Sheep on Drugs. Um, the, um, I, I, I stumbled across on Instagram um, about a month or so ago and w- was excited to see that uh, they were playing shows. Uh, and so I reached out to them and, and spoke to uh, today's guest, which is Dead Lee, um, Lee Fraser of Sheep on Drugs. And... It was an opportunity to sort of find out the story behind this band and how it how it came to fruition uh, and 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 how it got to um, where it's currently at as well and uh, and 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 he's a a fascinating and 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 he was an absolute gentleman as well. Um, so before um, we start this episode, just um, a shout out to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, um, and I would also like to thank 76 for producing this podcast uh, and if you like this podcast please go and have a look in the in the back catalogue you will see episodes with blimey um, Mark Moore from S Express Adamski 808 State um, James Buckley Kate Thornton Dom Jolly Swade there's 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 a Huge back catalogue, James Lavelle from Uncle. Um, so go go and have an explore in the, the back catalogue if you've just um, you've just headed over to this podcast for the first time, and hopefully you'll find some other stuff in the the back catalogue that you like. Um, and if that's not enough, then I also have a Patreon page um, that supports this this podcast, and I put a standalone uh, episode out each week over there. Um, the best way to find out about all of these things is off the beat and track podcast.com. Okay, back to today's uh, episode. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track Podcast with Deadly of Sheep on Drugs. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. 
Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. We are in uh, the centre of uh, Hipsterville in East London. Um, and sitting opposite me today is uh, Dead Lee from yeah. Sheep on Drugs. Indeed. You right? Yeah, good, thanks, yeah. Thanks for um, giving up your time and coming in and, uh, and having a chat. We've, uh, we've had a brief chat. We've never met before. Yeah. Um, well, we have met, I guess. You, you'd never remember it, but you did, you did come out to Essex and play um, my venue probably, I reckon, mid-90s that would have been. Right, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and so yeah, I'm not expecting you to remember me. Uh, someone did... My, my, my first memory of that night was um, somebody, it was either yours or Duncan, had a gun. Oh, yeah, Duncan, yeah. And someone nicked his gun that night, yes. and he was very unhappy about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got it back. <laughs> he did, he did, but there was, yeah, he was really not impressed with that. Um, all right, well, when we start this podcast, we always start with um, track one, which is uh, the song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, that's a quite a tough question actually and uh, I was thinking of loads of different tracks uh, some musical intros blah blah but then I did think of this song and uh, I thought it's a perfect intro because it tells you the story of the song before yeah. it started yeah <laughs> and that track is is uh, um, oh god it's uh, Leader of the Pack by Shangri-La yeah you're the second person in two weeks to choose that. Wow. And it would probably be mine as well. Right, it's, right. Uh, and, and I was saying as well, uh, when uh, a former guest picked that as well, like, no one talks in records anymore, do they? No. And it's such a 
great. Shangri-La's done it in, incredibly anyway, but just that kind of concept of just, it's, it's storytelling, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And then kind of starts with the revving of a motorbike as well. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, sound effects and a story. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so going back to the sort of, the formation of sheep on drugs yeah. and, and, and the early years of, of, of that. Mm. What was, I mean, I guess it kind of formed, would have been early 90s, is that correct? Uh, yes, yeah. I met Duncan uh, in 89, September 89. Yeah. And we'd um, formed a band within the year kind of thing. Not that we knew exactly how to do it, yeah. because uh, Duncan didn't do any singing at that point. He'd done a bit of performance art, and uh, and I'd you know, got some machines. I was sick of working with musicians, because they always let you down, didn't yeah. turn up to rehearsals, etc. So I thought, I'll get some machines. And then met Duncan, got on with him really well, and he had some good ideas. And because he was kind of had a little notebook and was always jotting down things, I thought, oh, maybe you could be the vocalist or something, yeah. or come up with some words anyway. But anyway, we started, and uh, he didn't actually do any singing initially. We played The Brain, like this tiny club in the uh, middle of London. I think it was Wardour Street, somewhere around there. And um, he just performed, you know, uh, like mimed kind of, if yeah. you like, really full on stuff to, yeah. to have the nerve to do that yeah and uh, and then we got we did uh, less than actually it was less than 10 gigs we did before we got signed can I ask what sort of environment them, them gigs were in because if, we, if we're talking 89 are we, we, we talking the kind of acid acid happened well, yes. and is it so kind of was techno kind of starting to form and was well, well, we started, we, our first couple of gigs were, yeah, around 89, which were just try-out things, really. We got kind of got our formula of the kind of techno beats with, uh, well, a bit of, you know, kind of vocal idea, but there wasn't yeah. initially anywhere. It was like the our first record company that suggested that Duncan do some vocals. So it was, uh, but it was, his performance was, his, you know, his ability, really. Yeah. So, uh, yes, it was rapid, the, the formation and how it went. You know. Was there influences from what was also happening with, with some of the stuff on, like, on mute at the late 80s, you know, some of the kind of the industrial stuff that was coming across into, you know, and starting to sort of break out into the UK as well? Yeah, I mean, basically I was impressed with Acid House, you know, that, that really got me that it was like, you know, a new kind of music. I mean, very anonymous initially, and we were kind of, wanting to fit in with that groove but uh, you can't really be anonymous anonymous and a band because people need to know who you are yeah yeah so uh so yeah it was acid house was the real inspiration and those kind of uh, machines that were making that stuff uh, but in our own secluded little world that we were in we were imagining what how it how this new music would be performed live you know yeah. what the bands would look like of course, there were no bands, yeah. but you know, we were projecting in our alternative universe yeah. what these people would be like making this music, yeah. and that's what we attempted to do. Okay, well, we'll pick back up on that uh, as we we work through this. But I want to know, uh, Lee, what the first song 
was that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah, well, uh, I was thinking about this and I think that probably all songs that I heard from birth had an emotional impact on me. Sure. So uh, it's about what I can remember. Yeah. And I do remember the uh, moon landings on a little black and white telly and I kind of remember that song around uh, a similar time. So, uh, and it definitely had an impact on me, you know, so I would say that that uh, was uh, David Bowie's Space Oddity. My emotion would have been what? Uh, I want to be a spaceman. <laughs> <laughs> have you made it into space yet? Uh, in a way, yes. <laughs> Outside of your own mind, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> So where was you born? I was born in uh, Oakham in Rutland. Okay. Um, Where's yeah. that, Lee? Uh, exactly. I, w I moved. Let's say, I was born there and moved uh, when I was two, so I don't remember right. anything about that. That's um, Rutland is the smallest county in England, I believe. You know, so there's something kind of special about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't really know much about it. And you moved to where at two? I moved to. Uh, Morecambe in Lancashire when I was two um, until I was about 16 and then moved from Morecambe to Aylesbury in Buckinghamshire to do my A-levels kind of yeah. thing and then moved to London to okay. university after that yeah. and stayed in London. Okay, well, well let's, um, let, let's go back to um, probably the second place that you recall. Yeah, more staying in, which would have, and which leads us on to to track three, which is a song that reminds you of your time at school. Yes, well, it's, th this song um, was yeah, um, it was happening the sort of new romantics, I guess you'd call yeah, it definitely. at that time, um, and uh, Japan were like, um, you know, Quiet Life was a song that reminded me of school because it was happening around that time. And what I liked about Japan was that they were reluctant pop stars, if you yeah. like, you know, which I thought was a totally uh, mad concept yeah. in itself. You know, how can you be recluse and be yeah. a pop star at the same time? They, they certainly, well, he certainly wasn't Simon Le Bon, was he? No, no, yeah. exactly. And it was, uh, yeah, so it was a good, uh, Japan had an all-round good package, I thought, yeah. with Mick Khan on the bass, which... Uh, I don't know if you ever saw them, but um, it was like he was moving on rails, you know, right. when he was playing his bass. He's doing like a little ballet kind of what, step. Like, sort of like Wilco? Yeah, like Wilco. Right. Yeah, similar yeah. kind of gliding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is great. It looks incredible. It does, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, at that point, uh, you know, seeing Japan, I mean, I mean, he was a beautiful human being to look at, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, was was you drawn to something more colourful and interesting and, and, and maybe alternative than Duran Duran, say? Oh, yeah, Duran Duran were too uh, mainstream, really. You know, I, um, I never really liked the mainstream. It was always alternative things that uh, I got into because, I mean, the charts have been fairly crap forever really even when yeah. there was a kind of chart yeah um you you were lucky if there was a couple of tracks in the yeah. top 40 that were any good yeah um 
so it was always look, I was always looking outside of that. And uh, yeah, it just so happened that uh, Japan particularly, and then after Japan was uh, more the kind of goth thing arrived, yeah. which I was into like Alien Sex thing as well, which yeah. was good. So yeah, but it was always out of the mainstream yeah. that I was impressed by. Why, why do you think that was? Uh, um, that's a tricky question. Because uh, the, um, well, I think the music in the charts is uh, shallower, if you like. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of glossy, good time, shallow. Yeah. There's nothing deep to it. And uh, yeah, outside of the mainstream, you can actually have some bit of depth. Because the art can be a bit deeper. Yeah. Which that's what I prefer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. And I think it's more interesting over there. Yeah, I think yeah. it's, uh, you know, uh, for me personally, I remember probably in the sort of mid '80s being exposed to lots of kind of pop music, like yeah, any yeah. young child is, but yeah. but still seeing things like Depeche Mode and Nitzareb and thinking, mm. oh, that's that's a bit more interesting yeah that's yeah. a little darker and yeah, yeah. they dress a little bit more interestingly than these guys and yeah i just i think i think it's it's it's, it's definitely a, a choice i think that, that that you make if you're excited and drawn to to music and art and substance yeah i think that more alternative path is a natural Way yeah. to, to you know to, to to gravitate to. Do you know what I'm saying? It's much more fertile, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so how was school, Lee? Um, it was. I mean, Morecambe growing up is uh, growing up there was a bit grim, really, because it's like raining all the time, as far as I remember, anyway. Yeah. And uh, and everything was a bit normal there. I couldn't wait to escape in a way from that um uh, yeah what sorry what was the question again how was school oh how was school yeah it was i was uh, reasonably bright so uh i yeah so i could show off by being clever which was uh, what i did for a yeah. while um were you creative um no i wasn't actually uh, i wasn't in like music classes at school was yeah. never encouraged to get on and was told to kind of shut up really you yeah know? um but that's kind of school music systems which are geared towards classical music anyway yeah i don't even know if today you can get proper music courses how yeah. to make music in a non-classical yeah. way you know well, i want to pick back up on something that you said earlier then about um the sort of formation of of, of, of sheep on drugs and you know, coming from the tail end of, of, of Acid House, because for me, I think that the the, the, the fundamental ethic of, of Acid House and and you know, it's it's punk as fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's like, look, I can afford this basic piece of equipment. Yeah, yeah. What racket can I make with it? Yes. And indeed. that's punk, right? Well, yes. it hasn't got to be free chords and and, yeah. and and guitars to be punk. And no. I think the whole kind of thing with Acid House was people with a 303 or whatever it was yeah, yeah, yeah. making new yeah. music. Yes. 
new you know, music. Yeah. That's the operative thing, yeah. And so what what did you have at your disposal when when when, when this started to happen? What was you was it uh, you know, a couple of synths? Was you playing guitar? Was I, you what I did was uh I started off with guitar because it was the most immediate thing that you yeah. could make with a fuzz pedal, you could yeah. make a racket yeah. without being able to play anything. So yeah. that appealed to me initially. I thought yeah. feedback is sounds quite good issue sure. by itself. So yeah, the guitar electric guitar with the fuzz pedal was the first thing I got. Um and then the next thing I got was a, a sampler. So I was basically uh I bought when they first came out you could buy little well, toys, I guess they were, like a couple of octaves on little keys, like a little keyboard, but and it had one sample in it, yeah. like a second sample. Yeah. And I got into using that, which was, uh, it, could, it couldn't even store the samples, you had to yeah. sample it live every time, but it was mind-blowing. And I'd yeah. seen it on uh, Tomorrow's World a, a while earlier, the sampler, and it had always impressed me, yeah. grabbing a sound and then being able to use it as an instrument. Yeah. Um, so that so and unfortunately that little toy that I had, which I was getting on so well with, got nicked, and then I thought I've got to get a proper sampler. Yeah. So around the time I met Duncan was when I was I had a, a job for a while, where getting the money to get together to get a sampler, uh, which was uh, sampling keyboard at the time. I got the first thing with a sequencer, and then quickly followed by a drum machine. So it was all cobbled together quite quickly over yeah. the period I met Duncan and we borrowed a, uh, like a grand or something off his dad to buy a few bits and pieces. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and we didn't need to do any more than that. Yeah. Uh, and before you knew it, we were being offered a S1000 to help us, you know, for our first uh, record deal. So, all right, well, I'll pick back up on then when you got signed and what happened from there after the next track then. So for track four, Lee, can you tell me the first song you ever buying from a record shop? Uh, that was the first vinyl uh, I remember picking up was Blockbuster by Sweet. Yeah. It's kind of the kind of what I liked about it. Well, another one with sound effects in it. And um, what I particularly liked about uh, that, there was the beat, the kind of uh, floor tom. Yeah. Enhanced yeah. beat, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was just a bit mad as well, you know. Did you like glam? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I like, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's dressing up, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was was that something as as the you know as, as the band sort of formed that visual was was very important? Oh yeah. Well, we we realised we knew that visual is half the yeah. battle. Really. Yeah. Um, as somebody that was a fan of, of of sheep on drugs, I remember for for those that are listening that that that, that, that aren't you know overly familiar with with with, with uh, Lee and Duncan's work, it was. It's quite an abrasive sound, I think. Is 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 you know, and I mean that with the greatest of respect. Yeah. But visually, I, I found sheep on drugs gigs unsettling. Yeah. Uh, and when you joined, like the the mailing list, correct me if I'm wrong. You sent out a suite. 
Yes. And it said something like, do not eat this. Yeah. Or something like yeah, that, yeah. or eat this and you are ours. Yeah, yeah. Didn't yes. fuck, I didn't fucking eat that. <laughs> and it was, it, because I just weren't convinced. I was yeah. just thinking, like, that, I don't fucking trust these guys. <laughs> like, it, it was, it, it felt, it felt different from everything else that was going on. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, yeah, that band's fucked up. <laughs> And like, and I hope that's what you were setting yes. out to do yes, because indeed. it worked. Yeah, it good, was good, it was yeah. unnerving, it was unsettling, and it was exciting. Yes, good, and yeah, and yeah. that's what I wanted from a live gig. Yes, and that's what you've done every time I see you. It was like, holy shit, this is this is crackers. And yeah, like, good, and good. You know, just the fact that the the Duncan will walk on stage with a blank firing gun. Mm. And if you ever want to get an audience's attention, fire one of them. Yeah, yeah. Because it's deafening. Yes. And if you want to unsettle your audience, that's how you do it. Yes. <laughs> and from that moment, you know, you, you know, we was party in your hands. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So go, going back to to, to record shops now, were they an important place for you growing up? Yeah, yeah, very important place. Um, I spent yeah many a Saturday afternoon flicking through records and another thing sort of relating to the visual thing like the visuals on the record cover are so important too. Yeah. I can remember buying records just on the for the cover and being surprised by you know that it was uh, happily surprised that it was good music. Too. What like? Um, I think that I bought the. Uh, Velvet Underground uh, banana record yeah. on the strength of the cover, yeah. So, uh, and uh, yeah, I love that album. So, uh, yeah, that was one that I can think of. Um, can't particularly think of it. Having thought of that, I can't think of that. <laughs> but um, I was, um, I was DJing at a, a venue in in Birmingham a couple of years ago, and this this relates to, to, to you and your, your album, your, your uh, record artwork. Mm. And I was chatting to this, this lad who was looking after the DJs and the bands and stuff and uh, smashing fella he was, got chatting away. And for some reason we got talking about early nineties and, and, and the stuff that we was listening to. And yeah, I said, yeah. oh, I said, I'm in this band called Sheep on Drugs. And he said, yeah, yeah, I was, in, I was involved. He said, uh, I'll, I work for their fan club or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, really? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, and I'm on the cover. Oh, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And then I just thought, God, what me and my mates would have given, because on the cover for 15 Minutes of Fame, yes. it was all little Polaroid pictures, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. All, all like the passport photos yeah. of, of the old fan club members. Well, yeah, we basically said, send two pounds and two passport photos yeah. uh, for, you know, to join the, the fan club. Although it's probably worded better than that, but yeah, yeah, to, we'll make you famous. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So, and we just, just managed to get enough to cover the twelve inch <laughs> <laughs> when it, when we really had to release it. And that was it. This guy was on there. I was like, oh my god, you're on the cut. He said, yeah, I'm one of them. I was yeah. like, oh, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah. Um, and and yeah, I just remember like, just the. The 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 you know would you say it's your logo the the you yeah, know with the, the syringes yes, and the yeah, line yeah. it's again it's like it just felt felt like a cult yes and like you know and I'm not trying to pay lip service here mm, it, yeah, it, yeah. that's how it felt to to me and a lot of my friends that you know you looked at it 
it, it ticked every box. It yeah. was like it sounded, it sounded strange and interesting, yeah. and it looked strange and interesting. And then when you start getting sent sweets in the post, <laughs> yeah. it was too strange and interesting for me to eat. <laughs> Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The songs, because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Um, okay, so so moving forward, I want to know for track five, Lee, um, the song that soundtracked your years in Clubland. Oh yeah, that was um, what was it called? Uh, the Modern Lovers. Uh, yeah, Modern Lovers, a Roadrunner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, this was before the Acid House thing yeah. kind of happened. So uh, it was like I guess you'd call it alternative club yeah. music, and that was one that uh, seemed to always be on. Which is a classic. It's a great uh, record. Great record, yeah. Uh, sorry, go on. Where would clubbing be? I was doing... Well, I was living in... in I went to Goldsmiths uh, College for a short period and uh, so I was living in New Cross and went to the venue in New right. Cross. Yeah. 
which we did touch on earlier, which yeah. was one of the many places I saw you use a lot. Yes, yeah, which was a great venue to yeah. play. A sprung uh, dance floor, yeah. which was great. Shame they don't put bands on anymore in there. I yeah. Think. So what sort of stuff was being played in them sort of clubs, uh, that, in the venue at that sort of time? Uh, it was, uh, well, as I say, it was alternative kind of things like um, Sisters of Mercy and... Uh, Velvet Underground and uh, kind of. So is this what eighty six, eighty seven, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Before, yeah. Before. Yeah. About that time. Yeah. Yeah. Just before the Acid House kind yeah. of kicked off. And that's a strange kind of period in music that I think it's like it. It, it feels like. When when I look back, I'm, I'm just a little bit too young to kind of been clubbing then, but it almost feels that that that. 86 87 was a very strange time in music where it felt like lots of the exciting stuff that had happened in electronic music in the you know the, the earlier parts of the 80s and yeah. some of the, the exciting stuff that was happening with guitars kind of maybe with the exception like the smiths and things like that maybe the cure but then it felt like there was a need for something That's it. and that 88 saw i guess the evolution of Acid house yeah. and rave culture and hip hop, yeah. and all of a sudden it just felt like you was just slapped around the chops with all of these kind of new sounds. Yeah, and you know, and, and, I, and I, I say that with as much love for what I was hearing in hip hop, yes. which was again, I guess, a three hundred three or a, you yeah, know whatever yeah. it was, nine hundred nine, nine hundred nine, yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 just and again, punk as fuck, yes. Just yeah. you know, just doing it themselves with these little drum machines and rapping is yeah, yeah. the same as what was happening in in, in Acid House. Yes. And like, so when that happened, Acid House did, was that something that just really, really got to you? Yeah, it totally. It was what I liked about it. It was sometimes it was like dubious whether you could actually call it music. You know, yeah. it was like this thumping beat with a weird squiggly synth on there. Sure. Which. I was, you know, I th it was mind-blowing. It was like, wow, this is proper new music. Yeah. You know, that doesn't sound like anything I've heard before. Yeah. And that's what was inspiring about it, the fact that these people had cobbled together a sound that was new. And the fact that it was new uh, inspired me. And I think today, for example, bands are so boring because with today's technology, you can literally make new sounds all yeah. the time and uh, people are very sort of timid in progression you know I would have thought that uh, by now music would be really I mean dubstep kind of started going towards that yeah that thing but um, it's very slow the progression you know but I think in, in this day and age now I think we, dubstep being a prime example of something that's fundamentally very London sounding and, yeah. and very, very British sounding that was done with minimal software yeah, yeah. and and then just created something. And then the minute that the powers that be see that there's a market, yeah. they swamp it. Yes. And then before you know it, Madonna's getting dubstep remixes yes. and then like and then you you can't maintain that yeah. kind of excitement and underground and obviously with acid house and rave culture it wasn't even the, the 
the major labels getting hold of it, it I guess the Criminal Justice Act got bought in and yeah, yeah. and it was like well hang on a minute too many people are being nice to each other in the field let's yeah. let's stop this yeah, uh, yeah. Know, <laughs> which is fucking ridiculous yeah. so to go back to to 10 gigs in you get offered a record deal. Yeah, I less mean, than 10 gigs, yeah. How, I mean, how did that happen? Well, it's amazing. I don't really know. Like, what we did, we started off, we thought, right, we're a band, we're, we need to play to captive audiences. You know, we thought about playing pubs and stuff and thought, no, that's not the... We need to get pick a place in the middle of London there's a little club that people are paying to get in anyway. Yeah. They're not going to go if we play our set. They're, they're captive. We've got them. Yeah. And uh, and we were, the only place we that would let us play was this uh, brain the brain club, and uh, what we did Duncan uh, we we knew the guy Sean McCluskey that was putting it on right yeah right and uh, so and Duncan would be able to get into the club it, a bit earlier in the afternoon and he would do things like put scaffolding pole from the to make like a stage area yeah because uh, there was no stage so we kind of fence off a bit and put some plastic around it with um, latex on it so it was all glowing in the UV light and kind of cut his way out of it and had, um, you know, um, yeah, as I say, we, we played a, a gig a month for about six, uh, you know, six or something like that, six or seven times, I think. And then uh, we got a gig in the milk bar which we did, we did it in, uh, we couldn't get there early, but we anyway, we got up on stage, did our little show, and they stopped it halfway through. There was a, like a little break and uh, before the next sample where it went in, and, uh, and they cut it off. And it was like, so we hadn't even played our full set. We came off stage feeling a bit pissed off. This guy came up to me who turned out to be Paul Glancy from Rhythm King Records, and he just said, have you got a record deal? And I said... Uh, no, but we want to get one. And he said, oh, well, here's my details. Send your tape into this. And it was like, oh, I, I thought that happened in films. Yeah, you know? that was so, easy. Yes. <laughs> and so anyway, we sent the, the cassette to them, our demo. They didn't like it, so they said, we'll put you in a studio and put us in like a little studio. For several times, it seemed like they were never happy, but yeah. they put us in a few times and we came out with drug music. Um, was the first track and then you know I think Catch 22 or something like that but um, yeah we uh, um, yeah it was it was very rapid it's basically from as I say we hadn't done 10 gigs yeah you know we got somebody said do you want a record deal yeah. and then it was a period of waiting what and we met the other thing a funny thing is we met um, our manager at the time, through uh, Duncan's girlfriend at the time, yeah. and he was perfect for us. He steamed in, he helped us with the, the lawyer, etc., yeah. sort out the record deal, which would have been a nightmare otherwise, because yeah. you you need a lawyer. In fact, you need someone with the right head to go through it. Yeah, especially back then when of there, course. it was you know more in depth and there's more money to be yeah. made. Uh, so so yeah, we had this manager which leaned on them. So six months later. After being offered the deal, we get signed with our you know first record deal, and that. Yeah. so that was like September '91, and then before you know it, we was on Island Records. You know? I mean, how, how, how was that? How did that feel? <laughs> it felt uh, 
proof of what we were saying, you know, yeah. that we uh, should have been on a major label. Yeah. But still, it's quite hard to believe that we actually got there, though, you know. Yeah. Because it was like Chris Blackwell, he was the one that signed us. Really? Yeah, yeah. He wow. came along and saw us. Because uh, our manager had worked from before and kind of half knew him a bit. So, yeah. But yeah, he came to one of our gigs. Um, I can't remember where, one of the... Uh, Possibly even the one at New, one in New Cross, yeah. even that that kind of size sure. gig. He came along, and then yeah, we were signed. And it's like a rapid. Yeah, I mean, success. did you feel like you were prepared for it? No. <laughs> <laughs> that made it all the better. Yeah. yeah well, it, it was like it was like it was like being on a roller coaster, and then bits start flying off. Yeah. You know, we were hurtling forward. Yeah. We thought it would take quite a while to yeah. get things to get, you know, get signed. Suddenly we were signed, and yeah, it was like we're rocketing and the bits are falling off. Yeah. Did you get put out with any other bands to tour or anything like that? Did you support we, any well, bands? Well, the other tour? thing, the other funny, lucky thing that happened is uh, the first tour we did was uh, supporting uh, Daisy Chainsaw, which right. they just had their hit Love you, number one hit. Yeah. Yeah, and some, somehow somebody that they knew had seen some of our gigs in the brain yeah. and put, the, put us together. Yeah. So suddenly we're There's on tour with There's two absolutely insane one. bands back to back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they, the great thing is they just had a number one, so there's yeah. loads of people. Yeah. And we were like blown them off stage every night. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, shit. I, I mean, I saw Daisy Chainsaw again at, 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 the, at the Pink Toothbrush. Mm. Oh, that's where I remember it from. Yeah, yeah. that tour. Yeah, yeah. She was a force of nature. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, crackers. Yeah, crackers. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, but definitely uh, great to, to watch live. Mm. Um, and so, how did you find the kind of... How did you find being famous? Uh, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, um, yeah. I wish. Yeah, it was. It was good. Um, I mean, it was weird as well. You know. Um, uh, yeah, it was weird. Uh, you know, our egos inflated massively once really? being signed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so you look back on it and you think, oh yeah, it did sort of make me a bit worse <laughs> as a person. But, yeah. Um, once uh, the worst thing, it's easy getting used to being famous. Is when it suddenly, yeah. suddenly you're not on Island Records anymore. Yeah. It suddenly it's like, oh fuck, who yeah. am I? You know. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's surviving the other thing that is the yeah. uh, the thing that makes you really, yeah. you know. And to call your album Greatest Hits, yeah. I mean that's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fucking cool. Um. All right, track six, Lee. A favourite song from an artist uh, from your home county. Yeah, well, I consider London to be my home county. Okay. So uh, I um, picked another, what I would consider a London band, uh, the Sex Pistols and yeah. uh, Holiday, it's Holidays in the Sun. So <clears throat> was you old enough to appreciate punk? Uh, as a child, yeah. I mean, I noticed it, but I was too young to be a punk, you know. Um, so I kind of, that's where I latched on to the, the next thing with the first incarnation of electronic music yeah. with the New Romantics or yeah. whatever you want to call them at yeah. that time. So, yeah, 
but still liked the vibe of punk and and also considered that to be kind of punk too with all these pe- blokes with makeup completely and, yeah so you know, the kind of form of punk so yeah yeah the two for me the two go together and the punk thing is still yeah going you know when you was young and, and you'd, you'd see you know Leiden uh, mm. on, on on TV or in the papers like was it as a kid was it exciting was it scary what? yeah a bit scary and yeah exciting scary and exciting yeah it's hilarious when you 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 look back at it now with you know from in 20 with a 2020 mind now yeah and you look back and you see the furore yes at the, the pistols yeah yeah it's, it almost seems ridiculous. Oh yeah! When you look back and you go, they were just moaning yeah. like with great music. Yes, you yeah. know, and, and but for, you know, society the, was scared. It was, <laughs> and I mean that's great though, isn't yeah. it? And yeah. it's like, will that happen again? I don't know. Will grime do that? I don't. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I just you know, obviously rave culture done it. Society didn't know the Beastie Boys done it. Yes. You know, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like. All of these things, you know, you fucking done it. You yeah. scared me, mate. Yes, well, um, we're still trying to scare people. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, let's talk about that then. So, um, Duncan, he's now sort of occasionally plays with you. And no, he's he's hasn't played since, uh, I think it was 1998, was right. the last gig Duncan did. He basically, he got, uh, it lost its appeal to him. You know, we'd gone into... See, what happened, we, we got rapidly signed, so we went from naught to 60 in two seconds or whatever. Sure. And then uh, we were on the major, then, then we, we didn't actually get dropped from Ireland. Polygram bought Ireland and let every band that hadn't recouped at that point, that, you know, got rid of them. Yeah. We'd just had a top 40 hit. Yeah. You know, I wish, they, you know, wish they'd fucking thought about it. Yeah. Anyway, so we were out of a job, so we started working with Martin Atkins in Invisible Records, so which was a totally different kettle of fish. We suddenly went from doing, you know, having done nine gigs and getting, you know, signed to a point where we were, we were on a transit van touring around the states for two months, which we'd never been on a transit van before. It'd been a tour bus always, yeah. and kind of the shine had really gone off it at that yeah. point. And it was hellish, the tour was hellish. So after that point, and also the bad treatment from Invisible Records, uh, just it lost its appeal to Duncan. And then he he just didn't want to do it. And now that he hasn't done it for so long, he couldn't he couldn't do it, you know. Yeah. He's lost his kind of nerve, if you like, yeah. his stage sort of presence. Um, so, yeah, he's now a tattooist. Yeah. So um, very well respected tattooist yes, as well, isn't indeed, he? Yeah, from yeah, from, yeah. Uh, from what I'm told. Yes, like. indeed. Yeah, he's a respected tattooist. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I understood that he can basically he didn't want to do it, which you know I understood why he didn't want to do it. Also, he felt that he was never really a singer. He felt a bit worried about his voice, you know, for some reason. Really? Yes. It was stupid, really. Yeah, but yeah, it was a paranoia thinking. Oh, but. You know, I don't know how to sing, kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, that was rubbish, really. Yeah, of course he, of course he did. But um, so yeah, suddenly then I've I haven't got a bandmate, so I started. I did some solo stuff. Um, Bagman, 
it, which is kind of drum and bass without a vocalist on it. Yeah. <clears throat> which was because I didn't have one, so I thought I'd, I'd do that. Yeah. And uh, and then a few years later, so I did a couple of those albums, and a few years later, got about I think it's two thousand two, got offered a few gigs for like two grand a piece. I think I think it's three gigs, two grand a piece. And it's like, oh, six grand. That's and so said to Duncan, do you want to do it? It's three three yeah. gigs, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and he said, even if you offered me ten times that amount, I wouldn't do it. Oh, really? Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. But I I wanted to do them. So anyway, I, first of all, I thought I can't do it. How can I do it? And then the the promoter said, why don't can't you do it yourself? You know, kind of made my head whir a bit. And I thought, oh, okay, got a guitarist in to help. Uh, and did the vocals myself, which wasn't. I wasn't totally happy with doing that. It's 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 a much harder job being a yeah. front front man. Uh, but anyway, did it for a while, and tried a few, like a couple of other people uh, to in the band, didn't really work out. And then uh, I think it was two thousand five. I think I met Johnny, and uh, she's uh, perfect for the role. Yeah. Where did you meet her? Um, I can't, I think it was, uh, I'm not quite sure where I'm at, I think in some nightclub actually, through friends of, you know, a friend of a friend kind of thing, yeah. first met her, and then I think uh, she came and helped do merchandise for a, a Sheep on Drugs gig, right. and I met her a bit more, and then, uh, then uh, you know, got rid of the, the other person, and then basically tried her out, and... Uh, the good thing is, is she could, she's a keyboardist anyway, so yeah. started her off playing samples to kind of get her into the uh, sheep on drugs mode, if you like. Sure. And then as we progressed and started writing songs together, sort of brought her more forward to do the vocals, yeah. which I would pre I prefer, yeah. you know, because uh, there's enough to do otherwise without doing the vocals. Of course, you know, yeah. You know, keeping the machines on track. Okay. Well, we'll talk about the, the bits you got coming up uh, in a moment. But for track seven, mm. um, a song that many may not know, yeah. but you would like them to hear. Yeah, that one's uh, Women of the World by Ivor Butler. Okay. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's a simple song. Uh, well, I'll let the song do the, the talking, really. But it's, it's, well, it's basically about, you know, so Women of the World take over. You know, because if you don't, the world will come to an end, and we haven't got long. You know, basically, uh, wars are happening all the time. You know, I think that uh, we should. This paternal society is not working out that well. You know, maybe we should give it a go for women to yeah. do stuff. You know, <laughs> how did you discover that? Um, well, it's a, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Actually, that's a difficult one. Uh, I think it might have heard initially heard some Ivor Butler on the radio or something yeah. like that, and then investigated it, and that was one that particularly yeah. stood out. Okay. So, gigs, what's mm. happening? Well, we've got a couple of gigs, well, three gigs at the moment actually lined up. We've got one in um, <clears throat> Paper Dress, I believe is the name of the venue, in Hackney. Mm -hmm. um, that's on the 3rd of March. Uh, we've got one in Brighton, the Prince Albert, um, on the 8th of March. Uh, that's all we've got booked at the moment, but we're looking to book some more gigs, yeah. so we'll keep that going. 
and we've got a gig in a festival in Madrid in um, which is called Dark Mad Fist Festival, which I thought is quite a good name, and that's in uh, October the twenty third, twenty third and twenty fourth, I believe that's one. And new music. New music, yeah, we're cracking on with the new album. Uh, with this, the songs are embryonic at the moment, but there's a good few of them bubbling under. Yeah. Uh, we're we're in the studio. Well, we just have regular studio sessions booked to keep recording, yeah. and we've done a a, a version of uh, a cover. We found another cover song to do, and it's uh, we've done a cover of uh, Downtown. To the club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So, where's the best place if people want to keep up to speed on Sheep on Drugs? Well, um, the the website's always there, sheepondrugs.net. Um, Facebook, uh, it, we uh, put you know we put our stuff on the website, Facebook, Instagram. I need to keep up a bit more, yeah. but yeah, we're on Instagram as well. Uh, yeah, between those places. Wonderful. Well, yeah. if you're comfortable for me to tag all of those in it when we put this out, then yes. people can go and find it and investigate further. Yes, brilliant. Nice Lovely. One. Lee, thanks loads, mate. Yeah, my pleasure. There you go. That was Lee. Deadly. Um, he wasn't dead, and he certainly wasn't deadly either. He was he was super kind, right? It was um, a lovely chat, and really, really pleased that he gave up his time, and it was nice to to find out, you know, a, a peek behind the curtain of, of, of something that, you know, unnerved me as a as a teen um, at these Sheep on Drugs gigs. And, uh, yeah, uh, an absolute gentleman. Um, like I say at the beginning, um, please go and explore the, the back catalogue. Um, the best thing you can do is subscribe to this. That's always nice if you can do that. And if you see us on, on the socials, please give us a like, love, share, retweet, and all that jazz. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks again to Lee for um, popping in and, and, and recording this. And I will see you next week. Have a lovely time. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whiffin. Hey,